Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. Listening to the 3CR Gardening Show, we are live in the studio this morning. My name is Chloe Foster, and with me on the panel today is John Arnott, Manager of Horticulture at the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria Cranburn Gardens, and Penny Woodward, author and horticulturalist. Welcome, guys. We're on air. It's a new dawn. It's a (laughs) new day. And I'm feeling good. Our our volumes are turned up now so everyone can hear us. (laughs) Nice work. Nice work behind the buttons. Thank you. How are you guys going? Good. Good, Yeah, good. good. Going really well. Bit foggy this morning coming in. Uh, It was really foggy down our way. And yesterday the fog didn't lift at all. At all. Mm. At all. All day. So, which is weird because it's so quiet and one of the things that you forget if you haven't been in a really heavy fog for a while is how much water accumulates on the leaves of things Mm. and you just stand out in the garden and although it's not raining it's just fog you can hear this it's it's actually it's actually 
precipitation. Well, it is. But know, it, we, it, we, we tend yeah. to think of rainfall as the thing which is precipitation, but... Fog is too. Fog is a, yeah. is a precipita- precipitation. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah. but it's a weird feeling because, it, and I did my usual morning bike ride and it was really weird because it was so quiet. Hey Penny, I've just learned something from, about you. I didn't realise you were a bike rider. Um, look, I've been a bit of a bike rider all my life. Fantastic. I sort of stopped when I had little kids, and yeah. although we did, you know, a bit of bike riding. But we could, we, yeah. could, we could spend the next, um, I could spend the next 45 minutes talking about bikes. <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of bike do you have? Uh, it's just a bike. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just do this short ride, which is really good for both my physical and mental health. Mm. I... I Go out my front door and I ride through summers and I ride th- and I get to Coolart, nice. if you know Coolart, yeah. and walk through Coolart, looking at all the trees and go to the bird hide and watch the birds on the water and see who's nesting and then mm. walk out the other side taking my bike for a walk and then get back on my bike and ride home again. Fabulous. And it's just a really nice way to start the day. That and beautiful. doing it in the fog is, is lovely, but it was so quiet yesterday morning as well and I got to the car park at um at Coolart and it was full of cars and people and I thought god what's going on here you know this was at um eight o'clock in the morning right. <laughs> it was really weird what was going on? um they were planting trees for koalas Fantastic. which was just oh. lovely it was full of kids and cars and people and people with jackets on and all these trees and they were heading into Coolart to plant trees for koalas Beautiful. I really like Coolart as a it's a, a great a, place. As a, as a garden. It's a yep. lovely heritage garden. Yep. Yep. Um, but, you know, some of the revegetation they're doing is really mm. good. And, mm. um, yeah, good spot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I just feel so lucky too. And last year when we were in lockdown, that was the spot that I went all the time to walk. So, you That's know. A bit tough. Yes, it was a bit tough. <laughs> and yeah. the beaches. And the beaches. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I cycle to, while we're talking about bikes, and <laughs> <Yeah>. gardens. <laughs> I cycle to work. Tiding with nature and gardening, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. I um, I cycle to work most days. Okay. Uh, And and again, it's in terms of well-being, it's hard to beat. Mm. Mm. It's tricky to feel melancholic on a push bike. Indeed. Yes. Um, And you know, good in destination at the Cranbourne Gardens. Yes. All you, yeah, and you have the benefit of working in nature all day. So yes, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. How's Chloe? Chloe's yes. good. Yeah. Uh, Chloe's got semester two starting at um, at TAFE tomorrow, so rushing around like a crazy person this last week, getting ready for classes and finishing off unit outlines and lessons for the semester starting. So a whole heap of new students starting. Um, Bernie, who is doing our phones today, is starting a certificate three in horticulture tomorrow. Good I think, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and you're at Melbourne Polytech? Melbourne Polytechnic, yeah. yeah, at Fairfield. Used to be the old NMIT. Yes, previous to that. And the campus that we're on is the old Fairfield Infectious Diseases Hospital. Indeed. So I think my office is in one of the previous, the old operating rooms or something. <laughs> is, that, is that the the tech that's down near the Yarra? So, or down near the Mary? Yes. Which, yeah, yes. So in Yarra, that in yeah. that area there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're okay. on Yarraband Road and yeah, yes. in Yarraband National okay. Park. I mean, it's fantastic because we have a heritage-listed campus yeah. with the plants that come with heritage-listed heritage buildings. And then we've got Yarraband National Park surrounded by us with all the indigenous plants that are there and yeah. all the you know weed control issues that go on in you know a national park in a yeah. very, very urban setting. So it's a really good learning 
learning space for us and plenty of materials. So And another fantastic park for walking and riding in. Yes. It's, yeah. a, it's a terrific space. Yeah. I used to, when I was, my mum and dad used to be in aged care not that far from there and I would take them down there all the time and it was such a, became such a special, mm. really special place because yeah. there were so many places that you can, one of them was in a wheelchair where you could push wheelchairs and you could, you know, do all those sort of things. We're yeah. so lucky with our green spaces. Oh, we are. Melbourne has so many beautiful green mm. spaces and to have... You know, well, it's a national park in the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah. Is pretty cool. I think yeah. a lot of people sort of forget that it's a national park. Indeed. Or such a big area. Yeah. It's just massive. Studley Park Boathouse and Fairfield Boathouse are within it. I'll try and find a, um, a, a, a graph that compares the amount of green space within five kilometres of the CBD and other capital cities in the world. Okay. Uh, and Melbourne is right up there. At the top. Right yeah. up there with New York, with Tokyo. Okay. Um, you know, it's a, it is mm. we're kind of blessed. And that was, that was yeah. kind of locked in really early. Yeah. Um, Our forefathers did us good on really that. Did. Yeah. I think it was Governor Latrobe mm. um, reserved, you know, all these places for, yeah. For, yeah. for parks and gardens and you, know, you think about Royal Park and the size of mm. Royal, oh. Royal Park approximate to Melbourne, it's yeah. extraordinary. Royal Park is fantastic. We took our students there earlier on this year and they're all, I don't think, I think they'll probably all be asleep right now, they won't be listening to me. Um, they have an assignment <coughs> on uh, developing a management plan for a, set, a section of the Australian Native Garden okay. at Royal Park okay. and uh, it's a huge diversity of plants on their plant list. And the Australian Native Garden, they put their... Actually, Roger Elliott was telling me about that the other day. It was originally intended that people would stop off at the Australian Native Garden at Royal Park to have, when on their way from the airport to the city, to have their little taste of Australian natives. And then they'd keep going to the city. It hasn't worked out like that. It's it's sort of a hidden gem, that Native Garden there. And now there's the nature play area that's Mm. near the hospital. Which I've... Is remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be one of the best nature play areas. I think it is. Mm. Globally. Mm. Yeah. It's a ripper. It is. It's a ripper. Yeah. And the native grassland circle is fantastic. Yeah. We took a walk through it. And I hadn't, I don't think I'd walked through it before, actually. Um, there's some really good patches of native grasses that are doing their best to compete with a lot of weed grasses. Yeah. yeah. But it's still, you know, a refuge for yeah. lots of, lots of, you know, tiny in you know uh, fauna yeah yeah invertebrates um and we didn't luckily it wasn't a hot day we didn't mm. see any snakes but i'm sure there's there'd be snakes and other sorts of and lots of lizards and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. is there water around too no there's no. not actually okay. there's in the there's a pond waterway part in the australian native garden oh, okay. but yeah. not in the grassland circle mm. yeah yeah i mean it's a huge royal park if you think you go from um, Royal Parade, mm. where the Native Garden is, all the way to the Commonwealth Gardens Village yes. at the back of the, 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 the wetland there. Yep. It's an enormous area. Mm. Yeah, it's, mm. yeah, it's massive. The zoo's in the middle of it. The zoo's in the There's middle of it. There's all those sporting fields. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Backs onto two big hospitals. Yeah. 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 It's Love it. Absolutely massive. Yeah. I will try and find that graph because it, yeah. it, it, it's this, this line mm. bar graph. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually think Melbourne is at the top. Um, Top of the table. League ladders. Okay. Sydney does not too badly with parks yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well they've is it Royal National Park that they've got on the 
which Heads is there, which is huge, oh, massive. Yeah, with all those beautiful, mm. uh, beautiful plants. Sydney sandstone. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. All the sinkholes. Um, all right, I have one community announcement, uh, and luckily we've, it's happening today. So if you are in the Geelong area, or if you are looking to do a day trip, get out of Melbourne while you still can. Victoria is not in lockdown. No. It is so good. <laughs> it is such a good feeling. Um, 2 p.m. today, uh, the Geelong Botanic Gardens are running a tour uh, talking about the first peoples from that area, lifestyle, resources, the traditional plants that they use for food and medicine. Uh, it's a gold coin donation. And if you could help out the, Ge- the Geelong Botanic Gardens, I think that would be a fantastic tour. 2 p.m. this afternoon. On the back of NADOC. Yeah, mm. NADOC. Yep. Let's get to it. NADOC. NADOC. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about it during the week. We've bought in some bush foods today. John, the Botanic Gardens does a lot for NADOC. It's a big celebration for you guys. It, it, it is. Unfortunately, this year we had to call it, we had to call, are we going to do a face-to-face mm. thing or, or not? But it ended up being a virtual um, NADOC for, for the Cranbourne Gardens. Normally yep. we have a big mm, gathering. It's yeah. one of the biggest gatherings mm. in Victoria. Um, yeah, which was a bit of a shame. Yeah, I know. But hasn't NADOC, um, isn't, it, isn't it gaining it, huge. momentum? Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it, it actually, there's, there's some real, I don't know, it's really gained a yeah, lot it has. of traction. Mm. Yeah, which is Which is fantastic. I have a question for you. It's a really dumb question. Do you guys know what NADOC stands for? <laughs> <coughs> no. I did. Someone will ring oh, in and someone, tell us. Someone can ring in and tell us. That's my cue to, to, put, uh, to open up put the, the, number out. the on-air line, and we'll get to talking about some um, the, it's the point at where gardening meets NADOC, and that is bush foods and some other plants. I will open the lines to our listeners. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Penny Woodward and John Arnott are in the studio with me this morning. If you have a question for us and we just want to say hello or if you want to tell us what NADOC means, uh, our on-air phone number is 94190155. If you want to call the off-air line and just chat to Rosie, if you have any other gardening questions and you're too shy to go on air, but please come and talk to us anyway, 94198377. Another phone number is our text line. If you want to send us a text and say hi, 0488 809 855. Radio. The acronym NADOC stands for National Aboriginal Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. Oh, National Aborigines and Islanders Day Observance Committee. Okay. Um, it has its roots in the 1938 Day of Mourning. Mm, okay. And became a week long event in 1975. Oh, yeah. So 1975, it's been around yeah. too. Wow. Thank you for that, John. That's okay. Sorry. Well, it's great. It's great to see it being celebrated yeah. so well in so many different ways in so many different parts. You know, councils, television stations. Yep. It's become, and and I think, the thing that's giving me some hope in our community when there's not so, not a lot of hope in other areas is the fact that we are finally recognising our First Nations people mm. and their contribution and um, celebrating yes. them. And it's just been too long, but it's great that it's happening. I had a, I had a chat with um, 
we've got a we, we're running some really interesting cultural programs at the Melbourne Gardens and the Cranbourne Gardens. And um, earlier in the week, just thinking about the the, the show today, was I um, had a really lovely, lovely conversation with a fellow called Steve Parker, who runs um, some of our cultural programs at Cranbourne. Now he's a Bunurong man. Um, and we talked plants for, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes. <laughs> um, and, and I asked Steve, you know, what, what, what would he like? Because, you know, thinking about bringing it to the show, what, what would he like uh, visitors to know about uh, on, on the show? And he, he, like, I've got a box of plants here. <laughs> should, we, should we jump into that? Yeah, let's yeah. go. Can, can I just say that we did ask... Stephen yeah, to Steve, actually yeah. ring in and talk and um yeah. or to come in yeah. if he'd wanted to. Yeah. And he wasn't but, able but he was not able to. He's so. a busy man. Yeah. He's been he's been flat yes. out this week. Yeah. He Indeed. Really so um but he, he started off um talking about cere- ceremonial plants mm-hmm. um and plants that are used in smoking ceremonies. And mm. there's there's actually a, a, a combination which which is used, but there's a common denominator which is used in smoking ceremonies across the land, across the many the many nations. Mm. Uh, and that's red gum. Uh, and when you think ah. about the, how ubiquitous red gum is in, in the landscape. Yeah. Mm. So, so the, uh, yeah, a traditional um, cooler nation smoking ceremony would be red gum, blackwood, uh, sorry, black wattle, yep. mm. Mernsey eye, um, and uh, cherry, cherry ballard. Okay. So it's, a, right. it's actually a combination of those, those, mm. those three things. Mm. And, and the ballard is a, it's, a, it's got a beautiful um, cultural story. It's, a, it's about youth. Um, it's about babies. Mm. Um, and it's about that association with um, being protected by a host, right. by a parent. By okay. So it's about, parent, that's, it's that's about parental really relationships. That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, because cherry bar is saprophytic on the roots Indeed. of other trees. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, yeah, so that whole ballard, mm. you know, that was clearly... Mm. He's clearly understood, mm. uh, and this, so there's this really strong link to to, to children. And, and there are exocarpus that grow all around the country. All around so the country. that's one of the other. So they've got the river red gum and the ballard are the ones that are used commonly yeah. throughout the country. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. But the red gum, um, Steve described it as when you go from tribal area to tribal area that there's an exchange of red gum leaf. So it was like a passport. Oh wow. Extraordinary, yeah. and it just it gave me tingle that down was yeah, fine when I'm, he was I'm when he was blown away by that. Yeah, That's yeah. So, cool. yeah. so the common denominator across uh, you know, many many nations um, uh, is the the red gum in a smoking ceremony. But locally, it's it's red gum, it's uh, black wattle, um, and cherry ballard, and and the ballard is the thing that gives the smoking ceremonies the sweetness. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that. that so I was pretty captivated that that poor me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I um in all the years that I've been seeing smoking ceremonies, I never thought to think, what are they using? What are they burning? Oh, what well, are they smoking? Yeah, I, I've always wondered what they use. Yeah. I could see eucalypt yeah. leaves, but I wasn't sure on the species. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. I I just didn't. I've, I don't know. Maybe I assumed it was sort of random, and you yeah. grabbed whatever you. Just whatever. Yeah. But yeah. that's whatever clearly was. not the case. No, it's really right. tough. I mean, and thinking about it, not unsurprisingly, that's no. not the case. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Well, yep, guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the um, acacia mernsey is what you know we, we refer to it, the the, the black wattle. So is that quite localised? Yeah. 
yeah. the, 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 that would be used in the Kulin Nation? In the Kulin Nation, okay. yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. And, and you know, black wattles, again, quite common in the landscape. Quite but widespread. it has so many applications um, from gum, mm. resins, and things like that. Um, through to shelters, and you know, it, there's a strong connection with community and and and, and the black wattle, right? Mm. You know, the, mm. it, it, structures and buildings, and you know, yep. lots and lots of tools yep. were utilised and are utilised mm. um, from black wattle. From black wattle, mm. yeah. and, and mm. even the the river red gums, they use they're often the canoe, the old canoe trees or the scar trees. Yeah. Mm. That are some are still hanging around. We can still see. They're great. Yeah. There's a magnificent scar tree at the zoo. Yes, there yeah. is. We did you? I I grew some seeds. Nice. Plants from the seeds of, of that tree. Nice. Um, with the intention of putting them back out into Royal Park. Nice. I don't think we got to that point though. But um, yeah, whenever there was, whenever the arborists were up. In that scar tree doing work, they always collected some seeds for us, so we so we had them stored and yeah, just popped them in, and they germinated very very readily yeah. um, when when we when we needed them to. It was a double scar, so a scar on both sides, okay. which is really unusual. Yeah. And the theory was that back in the eighteen well, sixties or eighteen seventies, that there was actually a, a cultural appreciation day, and mm. there was a demonstration of canoe making. Oh wow! Um, and they. It was that was the, that did a the demonstration tree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Mm. All right, everyone. You are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster, and in the studio with me this morning is the fabulous John Arnott, man- manager of horticulture at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, and the lovely Penny Woodward, author and horticulturalist. Now, Penny, you bought in the latest edition of Organic Gardener magazine. I did. I did. Um, I always get really excited when the new edition <laughs> comes out because you work on it so hard, and being the horticultural editor, I have to read every single article as well. So I think I really know what's in there, but I'm always <laughs> surprised <laughs> when I open it up and think, oh, I didn't yeah, okay, I didn't remember that that was what it looked like. Um, this one is actually all about trees, so yes. it, it's that's the theme. I mean, it's got chooks on the cover because we couldn't find a perfect photo. <laughs> Covers are very um, divisive things. But, um, yeah, so I... There's Victorian Tree of the Year. Um, there's a little bit about that. There's uh, articles about nut trees and that you can grow at home. So things like I should really have my glasses on almonds and <laughs> macadamia and pistachio and chestnuts. And then Karen Sutherland's written about peas. She's got a great article about peas and she writes a bit about her favourite pea. That's almost impossible to get hold of, but it is oh, a, that's it is a <laughs> fabulous pea. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, and. Uh, there's a really good article about chickens and about deep forest diving. Okay. So What's and deep forest forest, forest bathing. Nice. Well, this ah. is um, uh, Peter Wallabin, which I'm sure you know. And I think some of what he writes is a bit controversial, but um, the the principle is the same. And it's it's about spending time in forests, really. Mm. And and whether you're breathing in the chemicals from the trees and that's helping you or whether you're just meditating and um, breathing in the fresh air 
just spending time with nature. Um, it's just something that we should all do, and, and it should also make us appreciate our trees and protect every single one that still exists. Mm. Um, so he's a really interesting writer. There's also um, a, a an article by Helen McCarroll who... Um, is about looking after our trees, mm-hmm. so how to prune them, how not to prune them, getting arborists rather than people who just cut branches off. Yeah. Tree loppers. Do yep. it properly yep. um, if you're going to do it to be able to preserve your tree and and, um, and prune them properly. And um, there was one little thing, I, I didn't, I haven't written a lot in this one, um, not the normal action pages about what to do in your garden yep. now. But there was one little thing that I really enjoyed writing because one of the one of the things that happened during lockdown is a lot of community groups developed. And I heard about this group in northern Tassie, and I know we have a few listeners in the northern part of Tasmania. Yes. And um, Joe McLaughlin started a a group called um, the uh, Seed Libraries with uh, sorry Street Libraries with Seeds. So based on the principle of street libraries, so okay. we probably all know about street mm. libraries. Most little towns and um, a lot of suburbs have street libraries where people just leave books that they don't want, and other people take them, and it's a it's a sort of community thing. Well, Joe started this um, street libraries with seeds mm. instead nice. of with books. So Excellent. she actually spent a thousand dollars of her own money buying seeds from a local um, seed nursery and equipping her um, a street library that a friend built. He then went on to build another seven in little other little small towns in northern Tasmania and they now have this vibrant Facebook group um, and they put the seeds and bulbs and all sorts of things out in their <coughs> street libraries and then put it up on Facebook and say, oh, I've just put a whole lot of tomato seeds um, and at one point, someone donated 150 packets of tomato, different tomato wow. um, cultivars. And, and so we spun off that was a, a Facebook group that now talks about tomatoes all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> 746 members or something oh, like really? that of that Facebook group. That's so, it, you know, it was, a, it was, as Joe says, it, it gave them purpose. It yeah. gave them connections. It gave them... And it was, it's only a short article, but I loved researching it and writing it and talking to Joe about it. So that's in there as well. And, um, there's also a slightly bleak article, but important to read by, um, I always forget his name. Reese Halter, Dr. Reese Halter, um, about the trees that we're losing. So, yeah. Which is, which is important. Um, and yeah, lots of, lots of other things, bees and chook houses and, as, as organic gardening usually is. So. I'm intrigued to know what Victoria's tree of the year was. It was an or oak is. in the Castle Main Botanic Gardens. Oh, nice. So a oh, lovely, a lot of beautiful trees. This up is in those this is the yeah. National yeah. Trust one where they where you vote for your favourite tree. That's so it. it can people get really passionate about it. <laughs> and it was the nearly 160 year old tree. Um, it's an English oak. And it grows in the Castlemaine Botanic Gardens. And it won the title from a pool of nine significant trees that included a Morton Bay fig um, and a couple of remarkable eucalypts and a blush tulip oak. Right. Um, so, yeah. And it's a huge, huge tree that's very fondly loved by everyone mm. in Castlemaine. So, mm. 
And each year it's a different one, but it's a really lovely way of highlighting the fantastic trees that we have. I love those sorts of competitions. Yeah. The, um, oh, it used to be called the Dale Trust. It's called the Eucalypt Trust now, Eucalypt, isn't it? Eucalypt Australia. Eucalypt Australia, yeah. thank you. They run... In, in the lead-up to their Eucalyptus Day on the 23rd of March mm-hmm. each year, yep. they run a eucalypt popularity contest. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. It is so much fun. Quick straw poll on ukes. Um, oh, no, too hard. Don't ask me first. <laughs> Go, Penny. What favourite? Yeah, favourite specimen, favourite uh, actual tree. There's so many. Woodwardii. Oh, okay. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm not just saying that because you're in the studio. It is actually, it's probably my, one of my favourites. It's a beautiful tree. The lemon colour of those flowers okay. is so incredibly vibrant yeah. with like, silver foliage mm. and really, really weeping habit. Beautiful. I think it's a better version of the silver princess. Okay. John Arnold. I'd be going the, the two, I think it is, eucalyptus... Uh, Carimbia citriodorus uh, at Melbourne mm. University at the top end of... Uh, I guess it's what's the corner of la, 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 next to the cemetery? Yeah, Swanson. Yep. Top end of Swanson Street. Oh, yeah. Right up near the cemetery. Mm. Yeah. Are uh, they citriodorus? I thought they. I always thought they were angophoras. No, citriodorus. Ah, cool. Yeah. When they lose their bark in summer, they, mm. those trunks go the most beautiful colour. Beautiful. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think for, for me, some of the eucalypts I like the best of the trunks. Yep. Yeah. The ones with the extraordinary, you know, the spotted gum and the, yep. those, those sorts of things. Yep. And the, and the, um, the um, lemon-scented gum at Cruden Farm. The, mm. Oh, the stand. The, 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 the whole, the, yeah. on either side of the road. I mean, they're extraordinary. Yeah. I've been watching them grow for you know, 30 years yeah. now, and they're amazing. They've closed that entrance off. Um, yeah, I think I did read that. And, and I'm, I'm assuming it must be just due to compaction. Yeah. Looking okay. after looking after the trees. Mm. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Can but you still walk down there if yep. you go on a tour? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. But I think that was the primary vehicle Good entrance on at one mm. point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 50 but years ago they would have cut the trees down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. We're making progress. <laughs> <laughs> but you see that emulated quite a bit. That those those avenues. Yes. Um, sweeping avenues of lemon-scented mm-hmm. gums and. Mm. Such things. Yeah. I'm thinking Kings Park. Um, the, mm. the, oh, that's the, beautiful. The, the avenue of, I don't know what they are. They're citriodora. They're Crimea citriodora. Yeah. Magnificent. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. My dream is to have a driveway lined with eucalyptus cideroxalon, which is the iron bark with that really dramatic black trunk. Yeah. I just think that would be amazing. That's, you've got some beautiful ones of those at Cranbourne, yeah. don't you? Yeah. We've got a whole garden dedicated to, yeah. to, yeah. to um, iron barks. That, and they're almost red sometimes. They're so yeah. black, they're red. Yeah. Um, mm. And they're, they're stunning. Yeah. I was at the gardens last week, John. I heard. And it's, yeah, I did. You? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's looking fantastic. You guys have done so much in lockdown. <laughs> um, yeah, the Gondwana garden. garden is really coming along. Yep. Really coming along. Yeah, the the, the garden. Um, I guess if I had a criticism of the Cranbourne Gardens early days, mm. is that the sort of the horticulture and the botany and the living landscape was almost subordinate to landscape architecture. Yeah, totally. You know, lots yeah. of lots of big, bold landscape mm. architecture, hard landscape. It was. It is. It is a very hard landscape. It, is, it, it remains a hard landscape. Highly landscaped. Yep. Mm. Yeah. But no. the the lovely thing, you know, the first stage opened in two thousand and six second stage in 2012 so it's actually we're starting to get mm. 
you know, three-dimensional. We're, st- you know, yep. we're starting mm. to get trees that look like yep. trees. Yeah, but I think it was the first time that anyone actually did large landscape with Australian natives, yep. wasn't it? So yep. it was stunning. Stunning. In that sense that yep. that it was um, that that was given the priority yeah. for a while, yep. and I think yep. that was really important because we just did, weren't thinking in those terms. The designers. Taylor Collins and Emma mm. Flynn, they were given a mandate. It was actually in, embedded into the brief for the garden yeah. to actually push design boundaries and actually have take a really creative, really artistic mm. approach, push design boundaries. So, so not don't design something which is um, uh, you know akin to the you know it, yeah it, it was a garden of its era. Yeah, I think yeah. Is a garden of its era. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are taking it in such a fantastic direction now, uh, you know, into it's almost another stage of its life where the plants are really starting to take off and Mm. it's getting established and there's lots of little niches of box gardens becoming Grampian's flora still. That's still the direction. And Ironbark is taking the... Box Ironbark. The Box Ironbark forest Mm. through central Victoria. It's um. It was interesting that um. You know, Paul Thompson, the original plant designer, a genius, mm. absolute. Um. You know, really love his work. Um. But Paul, Paul was not. He he was never really concerned with ecology. It was mm. about it was about composition. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm. And and when uh, the garden was completed in 2012, we we actually had this opportunity to, well, we had a responsibility to manage the garden in perpetuity. And we wrote sort of curatorial living collection plans for each of the each of the landscapes. And in some cases, we're transitioning, keeping the look and feel of the TCL Paul Thompson design absolutely mm. in perpetuity, but changing the species composition to focus more on the flora of Victoria. Yeah. Okay. Uh, rather than sort of things from all, all over. Okay. All yeah. over the. the so you're planting the, the, the things that would naturally have been found uh, under some of those eucalypts or are yeah. you experimenting that's the as idea. well? Yeah. yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. So, so okay. those, those associations back to... So, so we've got an ironbark garden and, that, and that'll always be about the, the, the cider oxalans, the ironbarks yeah. and those black trunks and you know, that highly immersive, um, uh, beautiful experience of, of, um, of ironbarks. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're planting things that associate with ironbarks in nature. Yeah. In underneath, yeah, yeah. which okay. is which is, and going into the wild and doing wild collecting and yeah. starting to introduce some things with conservation significance as yeah. well. So we're weaving, you know, so additional things layers. that are disappearing in the natural environment. You're bringing them into we're the botanic in, gardens, yeah. which is one of the really important things about botanic gardens, isn't yeah. it? I think a lot of people don't realise that that's part of the reason that botanic gardens exist. Correct. Yep. Conservation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is a, yeah. In mm. fact, it, there's a, there's an emerging thing which is happening across many botanic gardens and it's called conservation horticulture so that's horticulture which is beyond kind of ornamentation mm. uh, and mm. horticulture which is looking at achieving you know meaningful conservation outcomes yeah it's good really important really really important talking about <laughs> wild collecting a <laughs> great segue guys yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fanny, you brought it up as well and it's been uh, been a media release uh, just in this last week or so, I think, yeah. about a new rare fungus that was found on French Island by none other than the plant nerds, <laughs> a.k.a. very smart horticulturalists <laughs> at the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Yep. You were there. I was there. We, yeah. We took the, um, the horticulture team on a... Um, 
on an expedition to French Island. French Island's an amazing um, landscape, like a really amazing yeah. landscape. It's, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, I think, I don't know what the percentage of, of indigenous vegetation vegetation cover is, but, you know, I'm thinking it would be around half. Mm. Half of it's clear mm. for agri- agricultural landscape yeah. and the rest yep. of these woody heathlands. Um, and we've, one of our colleagues um, up at the Plant Sciences, um, Sapphire McMullen-Smith, has been funded to um, undertake a study on the distribution of this particular fungi called tea tree fingers. What a wacky fungi. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's extraordinary. It is an extraordinary fungi. So its common name is tea tree, tree fingers. fingers. Tea tree fingers. Yeah. because it's like these hands yeah. coming over the yeah. branch there. And does it only grow on tea trees or is that the association? <coughs> it's mostly associated with, um, with, with tea tree. Yep. Yeah, so let's, um, let's burn them continentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does host on, on a, a few other bits and pieces, um, some banksias and uh, casuarina, aloe casuarinas and a few other bits and bobs. But it's a... It's a Parasitic fungi that grows on a host which grows on a broken branch. So, so you've got wow. a, you've got a tea tree branch, the branch breaks, it starts to decompose. Yep. You get a host <laughs> fungi which is doing the saprophytic work, doing mm. the, the decomposition of that particular branch. Mm. And then the tea tree fingers parasitizes the sap, the, the no wonder <laughs> so you've got real. a parasite oh on God. a, on a, on a saprophyte, on a twig in a certain ecological niche. Mm. Oh, that's blowing my mind. I was going to ask you if it, if it was a fungus that fed on living tissue or di- or decaying tissue. It, it lives on, it, um, lives on living tissue, yeah. but the tissue that it lives on is another fungus. That is so many levels of nature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, it was, like, I mean, it's in, inherently rare. Mm. Uh, mm. It, you know, it's been seen in places like the Gerties and, you know, that mm. um, in, in around on, on the mainland. Uh, mm. And it was thought that um, French Island would be the right mm. sort of habitat for it. Uh, it would appear that French Island is the um, tea tree fingers hotspot of the, of the, <laughs> of the world. Like we, we literally stopped our, stopped the car, parked the car, and within 10 minutes on two sides um, found it. Is that what you went down there looking for, or were you and, collecting and other And doing stuff? some collecting for our seaside garden. Right. Our seaside garden's quite wet. So we went into the salt, salt marsh and salt flats okay. and actually collected some, mm-hmm. some, some grasses and some mm-hmm. things there that would inherently take more wet conditions. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, it was, it was targeted to, to collect some plants for the collection, yep. mm-hmm. coastal plants, but to have a look for these tea tree fingers. Um, Is there somewhere that listeners can see a photo? I can... Um, I, I'll put something onto the Facebook page. Okay, yeah, yes. that'd be great. Yeah, because you'd need to see it. To, yeah, to to, yeah. to, to actually yeah. understand yeah. why to it's called two three fingers. Yeah, the photo that I've seen, it it literally looks like someone is creeping their fingers over a branch. Yeah, they're somewhat deformed. Yeah, deformed yeah, fingers. Deformed. <laughs> it's truly remarkable yeah. fungus. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so look, one particular site, we we, we actually just stopped for lunch. Mm. And we were sitting down for lunch and um, uh, Penny Evans, one of the horticulture staff, just went for a, a bit of a wander into the bush and you hear this, woohoo, <laughs> found it. That is so Penny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I trust her to find it. Yeah. Uh, and then we, you know, we called Sapphire and the, the science team in and it was there in, in abundance. Um, you know, 
quite, okay. lit- quite literally there in mm. abundance. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was fantastic. Uh, it's just it's such a cool story. We're yeah. still finding stuff. Still yeah. finding stuff. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was interesting in my ride through Kula, they've actually got a sign up there saying... Um, let us know if you see any unusual fungus. Nice. And I, I, I don't know if it's a result of this find. I think it's a fairly new sign. Okay. So, um, you know, they're obviously thinking that it, there's a possibility that it could be on the mainland. Are there tea well. tree thickets? Mm. Yep. yep. Mm, That's yeah. a big chance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. might have to go for a wander. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's cryptic. Yes. Even, yeah. even like, you have to look to see it. I mean, that's... But once you see it, you <laughs> see it. Stating the obvious. Yeah, you have to look. You have to get your eye in. You have to get yeah. your yeah, eye yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can... The idea was that you would just scan a branch, a particular branch, and spend maybe five minutes on one or two branches. Wow. Um, oh, okay. Is it in order to, is, in it, order, is it very small? Uh, look, what, uh, the fruiting bodies are actually quite, oh, okay. quite, quite large. Yeah, well, that's what it looked like. Yeah. It looked as if you'd sort of see it from a distance. Yeah. I'm thinking, um, oh, you know, it, it might be two or three, four centimetres long by two centimetres wide. Okay, oh, so baby hands. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, looking, yeah, no, little bubba hands. I thought it was bigger than that. <laughs> bubba yeah. fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, quite, quite, quite small. Quite okay. small, yeah. And, and really cryptic if it's not... Um, if it's not, yeah, really obvious. Really obvious, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But um, yeah, it was a great find. Yeah. It was a really successful trip. The other thing that we were looking for is a particular form of Banksia spinulosa. There's mm. a, a variety down there which is, I think, is Cunninghamii. Yep. Um, and our plant sciences people are doing some work on the DNA of that particular group, and we found a little tetratheca, a little leafless tetratheca. Uh, Tetratheca stenophylla, mm. um, which took a bit of hunting um, okay. to, wow. to, to actually find that. Yeah. But gorgeous thing, you know, the te- little pink bell tetratheca mm. thing. Yes. This one sits up a bit and it, it is leafless. Okay. Well, that's quite high. Your, your hand is yeah, about yeah, yeah. a metre, 80 centimetres? Yeah, 60 to 80, yep. that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, again, we found that, which was uh, mm. which was a good find. That self conservation significance. But French Island's amazing. We'll get to French Island in a minute. I just want to remind people that they are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. My name's Chloe Foster. In the studio this morning is Penny Woodward and John Arnott. If you have any questions for us, or if you just want to say hi, our number to come on air is nine four one nine zero one double five. The off-air line is 94198377. Put them into your phone contacts and save them. Our text line is 0488809855. Now, John, when I was at the zoo, the zoo had a program of breeding the eastern barred bandicoots. Mm. And they've, I believe they have released some back into an area on French Island or they've been working towards it. So, like, it's a really good... It's an island. So yeah, it's an they eradicated the vermin and other pest species yep. off there, yep. and they were able. I'm pretty sure that they have reintroduced. Yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. We, we we ran out of time. We were going to go and see um, the release them at the release site, uh, but um, it was it was cold and wet. Mm. Field trips can often be cold and wet, <laughs> um, and uh, the advice from the ecologist, our, our ecologist, is that. I mean, bandicoots aren't silly. When it's cold and wet, they tend to bunk, bunk it, bunker down a bit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and would be possibly even more cryptic than what they were. But, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a release site for, for eastern barred bandicoots. Yeah. 
a fascinating island. Um, mm. you, you get it's like a, it's it, it is absolutely like stepping back in time mm. when you get off the the ferry. There's, I've never been. Well, you don't. Well, there's always cars that just get left. You don't have to register a car on French Island. Um, oh. <laughs> so, no, are there bitumen roads or all dirt nope, roads? All, all yeah, dirt roads. All dirt yeah. roads all st- and so if you land there from the ferry, you, you need to catch the ferry from Stony Point. Yep. And if you land on French Island, I did this with the kids when they were little, and thinking, oh, there'll be something there. <laughs> There's nothing there. This was, this was 25 years ago, so, this. you know, this is um, a long time ago. But um, dirt roads... These cars that are driven too fast by people who not, don't necessarily have licences and the ability <laughs> to drive, um, but some of them, a lot of them do. It's it's a really interesting place. And having also worked for the electoral office, um, French Island is always the first votes that come in because it's such a small right. group. Right. That, um, it's the and they can't vote anywhere else except on the <laughs> island. So there's just one, you know, the polling booth, and that's always the first one that comes in on right. election night. Excellent. So you know, it has these sort of odd things Quirks. attached it's pretty quirky. to it. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, sorry. Oh going. no, but when you when you get off the get off the ferry, there's oh, I don't know, 250 cars, all beat up, very <laughs> few with, like, with number plates, um, that are. They've probably got the keys in them up, up in the top of the visor. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I was hearing that the the, pop, the permanent population on French Island is around 150 people, right. but then there's a whole bunch of people that have got holiday houses here, uh, there, and they keep a car, mm. they keep a car mm. yeah, next yep. to the pier, yeah, um, and drive to the holiday house and drive it back and mm. just leave it there. Yeah, the, there's a there is a car ferry that leaves from Grant, the Grantville side. Mm. Um, that was quite an experience as well. Mm, I haven't been on that one. Yeah, <laughs> but that was when the when the, the 2019 bushfires. There was actually a fire on French Island, and they yeah. they only had one fire truck on the island, so they were having to bring them over on the on the, on on the, the car, car ferry. ferry. Yeah, right. um, and that was terrifying because we we could actually see the fire from the where plume, we from yeah. where we live, and you could see the plume and the sort of. It going right through the yeah. heathland on French Island would have been devastating. But it's, it's a it's a pretty big island. I don't know the exact size of it, but it's it big. is. Yeah. There's obviously 150 people living there permanently, plus all the natural area that's that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Relatively untouched. Pretty much untouched. Yeah. 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 And but there are kids who come across to school every day on the ferry as well. <laughs> so, mainland. you know, that's a whole... And, and if the weather gets up, they need somewhere on the mainland to stay if the if the weather gets too bad for the ferry to go and stuff like that. You know, it's a whole sort of backwards way of living to some extent. Yeah. You can't rely on necessarily services being there when you need them. No. Mm. Uh, back to the tea tree fingers, one of the um, other requirements is... Um, uh, unburnt heathland. Okay. How okay. long unburnt? 30 years plus. Wow, wow. that's a lot. Okay. Yeah. For nowadays, For, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's mm. right. So, I mean, that's mm. probably one of its limiting factors as well, is that it, it might be, it might have been relative, rel, relatively abundant in yep. areas of tea tree heath, but if it burns, it disappears. Right. Uh, and then takes, you know, up to 30 years to recolonise. Yeah. The fungus that it um, that it parasitizes is that a particular species of fungus, or is that a broad? Uh, I think it's species? a group, but a pretty small group. Right. Yep. So it's not it's not an abundant thing mm. in itself. So mm-hmm. 
growing as a parasite on a other fungus in an ecological niche that doesn't burn, that there's not a lot of, mm-hmm. um, I guess that equates to rarity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's occupying a pretty small <laughs> yeah, n- yes. niche on, a planet, on this lovely green planet of ours. Yeah. So while we've been sitting here in this whole conversation, John's been, had two sticks in his hand. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. Sorry, I have been overcome with curiosity. <laughs> yes. and I want to know why he's got these sticks in well, his hand. Again, going back to Steve, yes. Steve, Steve Parker. Yeah. So this is part of NATO. This is part of this is part yeah. of NACOP. So I've got two things. Um, one is uh, called Corinderg. It's Prostanthera lasianthos, the Victorian Christmas Victorian Christmas okay. bush. Yeah. And another one is called the Austral mulberry, Hedicaria angustifolia. Okay. They both occur in wet forests, um, and they they were fire they are fire drill plants. Um, wow. So they're the, the 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 thing that gets spun into um, grass tree. Um, yep. Stems, to start a fire. To start a fire. Okay. Um, I, so when I was speaking to, to Steve, Steve has got this down, Pat. Yes. So people who've just joined us, Steve is a Bunurong man. Steve Bunurong man works at the yep. Cranbourne Gardens. Yeah. Who I, couldn't I, make it in with us today. And, so and, John's and, filling in. And had a lovely conversation yep. with him about plants of cultural significance and he named these two. Um, so, yeah, Steve has lit and fires for this. I have as well, and I asked Steve whether this was okay for me to say or whether it was complete hideous cultural appropriation, and he gave me the nod. (laughs) What I did with a bit of this when it was dried out, I did start a fire with it, but I put it into a drill, and uh, a cordless drill, and and spun it around on a cordless drill, and within 45 seconds I I actually had smoke. Okay, so when you're saying this, which... Uh, So that's uh, the prostanthra. See, prostanthra. And and you can... if you look at a prostanthera or a austral mulberry, they've got these, I guess they're like the equivalent of water shoots. They're these they really, really, very really, very straight um, bits and, of And bits very of solid, stems. strong. So you do very need soft. something that, oh, it's soft, very that soft. it needs to yeah. be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 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 sorry, this is, this is the, the, so that's the, the drill is the soft yeah. bit. So the prostanthera and the hedicaria, the, the mulberry, mm. that's the soft bit. And they drill in, into the, um, the grass tree stems, which are the hard bit. Okay. So that's the bit that gets okay. hot. Yep. But yeah, I, so I have started the fire with this, but using know, the drill, using the drill bit, <laughs> <laughs> using using it typical as a drill white bit. man. Yeah, just I know. For a shortcut. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Steve thought that was pretty funny, and he's going to he's going to use that in his programs from now on. I think. I think he said he was going to. He also um, says, you know, I'm a uh, I'm a contemporary Bunurong man, and you know, gets the lighter out and gets laughs and stuff like that. He's uh, he's a beautiful man. He's doing some really fantastic work at the Cranbourne yeah, Gardens. Good. He's a beauty. So we'll can can people come down to the gardens and and does he run? Steve runs school programs. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that's probably so more you, important. Yeah, so you run educational programs yep. for schools. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We do have a caller coming through, and we must say good morning to uh, Liz in Mount Eliza. Good morning, morning. Liz. Good morning. Um, this is a change from the trees, unfortunately, because it's been a very interesting conversation um i've got a ripsalis and i've taken the little tag out and it's a the pismium hulitiana flat leaf one it's ripsalis is is that a palm a palm no no it's like a tiny little um 
very fine foliage. It almost looks like a weeping succulent sort of plant. Am I getting it? It does. It does. Ah, gotcha. I got it from Fernie Creek, actually, the Fernie Creek show. Um, It's flat-leafed and it's um, unlike the other ones, Um, yes, and it sort of just sweeps out of the the, um, pot. I've got something eating it. And I've sprayed it with, which is enough, just one other question I wanted to ask, the difference between eco-neem and eco-oil. Um, and it's, so it's, I'm just looking at it now. It flows out of the um, pot, but it looks like it's something sucking the green from it. So it looks like that some of the leaves look like mm. they're dying. Is it, is it a big, is, so it's in a pot, is it a big plant? That's relative, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, like how, how big is the plant? Relatively big. Um, one one of the things that could be happening is that it's just getting too wet. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because so well, many yeah, succulents I, I are that. killed from being too wet. Yep. If you can't see a if you can't see a caterpillar, and that can that yeah, I can't see a caterpillar. What I can see at night is a very fine um, cobweb, but it's not the. It's not a, it's not a, I've looked through the thing, I've even got a magnifying glass. I can't see an insect, but at night the light shines on and it reflects like a um, hair, almost finely, a fine hair cobweb at the top of um, where I'm hanging it from on the rope. Okay. Would that be it? Um, Look, it could be something like a spider mite, I guess. Um, It depends. Look, it depends so much where it is and um, how, and how moist you're keeping it, but I'm if, not keeping it moist. If if you are confident that you're not keeping it too moist, um, and you're, there's something happening that you're not sure about, then the direction that you're heading in, like an eco oil, is a is a good one. Yep. Um, the so difference. Oil or neem? Uh, look, really, either neem neem is something that is um, an Australian native plant. I think uh, well, no, it's, it's, an to, it's yeah, an Indian. It's an Indian. That's right. It's an Indian plant. Um, it's used in a whole lot of. Um, Sprays and it's a relatively safe spray because it's also used in soaps and things like that. So yeah. mm. you wouldn't be using it in soap if you. Um, so either is fine. The echo oil actually coats the leaf and smothers whatever it mm. is, whereas the neem has an active principle that will kill whatever it is. Okay. So All right, well, I'll try that. depending and on what you think is going to work. What could you describe the damage again? Yeah, it's um. So it's all hanging down. It looks gorgeous. And the leaves, this, um, some of the leaves, the tips of them are red, and I've heard that that can be stress. And what some of these leaves look like they're dying. They look like they're being burnt, so there's no colour in them at all. Mm. Um, and it actually looks like it would be dying from lack of water. Okay. Um, it's a dry, burnt leaf, and then... Um, and it's just intermittent, so something's getting to it because then the dangly ones, the ones that maybe... It's probably... It's growing down to about two foot. It's oh, so it's big, it's yeah. Quite, yeah, it's quite thick, um, but it's not going away. It seems to be getting worse. What size pot's it in? It, 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 it's in... Oh God. <coughs> it might, it might, might actually even need repotting. Well, it only just... It's only been in there a year. Oh, okay, okay. No, it should be fine. And I can, you can see lots of dirt and yeah, okay. um, I've got three or four of them out there, but healthy. It's just, but when I look outside, I've got an outside light at night, um, I can see this very fine cobweb 
at the top of the rope that it hangs, the basket hangs off. And I'm wondering, is there some sort of ripsalus, I don't know, insect? Yeah, not that I know of. No. no. Um, and if it's, if it's up the top of the rope, it's more likely to be just a fine web that is something is, is living up there, which, yeah. which they okay. do. Unrelated. Um, one, yeah. one of the things that ripsalis do um, <coughs> need is plenty of light. So is it getting plenty of light? Um, doesn't get direct sunlight, but it gets light. Okay. That, that should be but, enough. It's yeah. only if you've got it in heavy shade. That, that no, because it's not, definitely not. It's fading of leaves there, can be the... All, yeah, sorry. Sorry, can, I, just the fading of leaves can just be the, a lack of chlorophyll in the leaf because they're not getting enough light on them. So, I, um... This is, this is more... It looks like it's being... It looks like a, a leaf in autumn that's now lost all its colour and it's brown crisp on the ground. Well, that's, that's, is, what it, that's what it looks like. And it's intermittent through the... Through the plant. Over fertilising? Maybe. Maybe some fertiliser burn? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So, okay. look, I guess we've thrown. Yeah, we've thrown ideas. Yeah, thanks. I it, have um, a fertiliser, that's a good point, because I do fertilise it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe back off the fertiliser. Yeah, if you've just, if it's only been in the pot for 12 months or so, that potting mix that you would have put it into would have had fertiliser in it and you yeah. you re- really only need to do an annual fertiliser and in, in a pot, you know, be a teaspoon of fertiliser of slow release. Ah, okay. And and liquid, you, those sort of plants don't really need liquid fertiliser. Liquid yeah. fertiliser is more for things that are growing rapidly and, um, you know, you're, yeah. you're picking it all the time. And for some of those leafless succulents, you know, that red is, uh, that, that red coloration is, is often a... a, a an indication of high levels of salts. When you think about salt marsh and salt yeah, flats like and things like that, mm, I mean, the plants are inherently green, um, but you put them into salty water and they, they turn yeah. red. So it, it might be it might be that you're overcooking them. Okay. Yeah, yeah over okay. Yeah, Too much love, Liz. Too much love, yes. <laughs> I do love it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's an interesting right. morning with the trees. Oh, good on you. Good. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks thank for the you. feedback. <laughs> Glad we haven't just been rabbiting on. I <laughs> know, no, very, very interesting. <laughs> thank you, I'm, Liz. In fact, I'm looking up French Island as, as um, you were talking. Yeah. Go, thank go you. for a trip down there. Thanks, Liz. <laughs> Catch you later. Bye. 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 Are we getting any text messages? We haven't had any text messages come through. If anyone has any questions or they've just woken up, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, My name is Chloe Foster and in the studio this morning is John Arnott and Penny Woodward. If you want to talk to us on air, the number is 94190155. The off-air line is 94198377. Our text line, so many numbers, <laughs> yeah. 0488 We do also have an email address as well, and it is gardening at 3cr.org.au, so you can send in a photo if, you're, if you want some, uh, some specific help. And a Facebook page. And a Facebook page and an Instagram page. So we're, like, you can contact us pretty easily. <laughs> What's that called? Multi-platform. Yeah, multi-platform. <laughs> Guys, I'm just going to talk about our Radiothon for a minute. So a couple of weeks ago we had our annual Radiothon and we raised during the show on the day just a click over $11,500. Fantastic. Fantastic. For the, for the 3CR station, and 
for the gardening show and we get to stay on air for a little bit longer. So it's just fantastic. But we still do have some leftover products left. Those numbers that I've just handed out, and I will give them out again, if you are interested in any of these products, I've still got vouchers and there's still some books available. So if you missed out on the day but would like to support the station or what I'm about to tell you sounds appealing for you because you missed the show, whatever, give us your money. Um, We've got a few vouchers left. So there's an eight-issue subscription to Organic Gardener magazine for $65. The ACS Distance Education um, Voucher for a 20-hour online short course, they offer a number of different short courses, is still available for $220. Um, We have a voucher for any of the gardening workshops that are run by Ceres, which is fabulous. Mm, Great. Um, Urban Farm, Mm. Organic Garden in Brunswick. We've got one voucher left for $130. Uh, Country Farm Perennial Vouchers, there's still a few of those for $25. Uh, Two uh, two vouchers for subscriptions to PIP Permaculture Magazine. Love PIP Permaculture. The Rip and Lee National Trust Voucher Family Pass for the Gruffalo Trail is still available for $40. Nice. And Tonkin's Bulbs and Perennials, a $70 gift voucher, is still available too. Well, I know I am mm. being told that the Bulbs and Perennials voucher is no longer available. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Thank you to Rosie and Byrne who are keeping us organised this morning. Um, so they're the vouchers that are still available. Uh, there's, oh, there's also some double pass vouchers for the sustainable living and gardening classes that are run by Bulleen Art and Garden for $80 as well. So vouchers are still available. We've got heaps of products. There's plenty of Seasol one-litre seaweed solution packs left, uh, bottles for $5, uh, plenty of tomato and vegetable dust. Uh, There's seed packets, the multi-crop hose, the ones that you stick on the hose, the two-litre bottles for those, there's heaps of those. There's heaps of products left, so if you still need some products for your gardening to supply you until the Radiothon next year, please give us a call, and Rose and Byrne can help you out with that. They'll take all your details, and they will take your money. And there's also plenty of books left, too. We've got ones, copies of in ones, twos, and threes of some books as well. We got so many donations this year, um, it wasn't funny. So if any of those appeal to you or if you need any of that or if you just want to donate to the station, you can call these numbers, 94190155 or 94198377 and Rose and Byrne are taking those calls for us today. So thank um, you, ladies. Chloe, can I just ask, are any of those my books? Because if anyone rings in and wants one of my books, I'll sign it for you while I'm here and Penny. I won't charge any extra. <laughs> Ripper, thank you. Yes, there is. There's a couple of Penny's books left. So uh, Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, there's four copies of those at $20. There's a copy of Garlic. One, there's only one copy of Garlic left for $25. There's Growing Easy Herbs at $10. There's a couple of copies of those. And Community Gardens by You and Pam, 
Uh, there's a few copies of those as well. And they're only $10 too. And they are only $10. What a bonus. Thank yes. you for that. That's all right. I'm just if they, yeah, very yep. happy. But make sure you leave your name so that I can yes. put your Personalise name. it. Yep. Yes. yes, please personalise it. So you're prolific, Penny. She <laughs> is prolific. Oh, well, I've had a lot of time to do it. <laughs> do you know what your tally is, your, your book tally? Oh, eight. Eight. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I've, and I've contributed to a few other books. Yeah, I'm sure. As well. Brilliant. So, That's lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah hey, yeah. Penny, what's the, what's the secret to getting a book published? Um, <laughs> I, look, my first book was published, um, it's a bit of a long story, but through a small company who wanted a book on herbs and someone said, oh, Penny could do that because I was running a herb nursery at the time. Yeah, okay. So you are commissioned so to write well, it? Well, not really. They said, okay, well, you come up with a proposal and we'll have a look at it. And, okay. Um, I spent, it was all done. I wrote it all by hand. No, that's how Did long you? ago it was. <laughs> oh, wow. And I then got this lovely local woman who typed it all up <laughs> for me. And, um, you know, I have very good memories of living in Ballarat in the herb nursery with my feet in the oven to stay warm. <laughs> it was a wood-burning oven, but, you know, yeah. I just bunkered down in the kitchen and, um, and wrote. Um, and it was all slides. So, you know, all, I did all the photographs myself as well. Wow. From 35mm transparencies. Absolutely. That's, yes. yep, yeah. beauty. So, yeah, that was the first one, and that's had three editions since it was first published, okay. so in three different forms and updated each time. Is that the Growing Easy Herbs one? No, that's Growing Easy Herbs was a, a, that's a later one. story. Yeah. yeah, that one. But, no, it was, um, it was Herbs... Um, Australian Herbal was the first version of it, and then it was Penny Woodward's Australian Herbal in paperback. Yep. And then it became Herbs for Australian Gardens is the third edition. Okay. But it, essentially the same yeah. body of work, but yeah. just... Updated, mod- oh, up- names yeah. updated, some plants taken out, you yep. know, Asian, some Asian herbs put in, yep. you know, those, those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, and it's sold, I don't know, probably 50,000 copies mm. over the... 30 years that it's been in print. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. well done. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thank that's you. Fantastic. It's nice to be able to, you know, have a book that has sort of kept going, you know. Yes. Yeah. Others go out of print. Some books go out of print really quickly. And mm. once, once they're not selling, publishers just remain to them and they're gone. Mm. But I was lucky that a Highland House... Um, didn't immediately um, remain to books. They they kept selling them. They didn't want to just put them out. And and I've always, I mean I've worked hard over the years um, publicising them, so yeah. they've never really disappeared from sight. Too. Yeah. So it's a lot of different things. But look, the last book was a self-published one. Yes. Just to try something completely different, um, so that you can self-publish. It's much easier to self-publish these days, and it doesn't have the the thing that hangs over it that. Um, somehow it's not good enough because a publisher hasn't picked, picked it up. It up yeah. mm. um, so there's always that possibility. Mm. And there are people who will help you with that if you want to go ahead and do it. So you need to get good editors and designers. Yeah, and you, yeah. And they know be something about what you're doing. It's much easier, easier to find these, these days. days. Yeah. 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 So that's always a possibility too. Yeah. But you've got to be prepared to work out. Yes. Why do you ask, um, <laughs> Chloe, just out of interest? That was my thought. <laughs> <laughs> that I was my spent, question. look, lockdown was very good to me. I wrote a gardening book. Oh, well, good, good on you. Uh, but it's, it's hard getting published. They don't want to know yeah. you unless you are Instagram famous. Okay. Um, and unless you have a pre, like a 
profile, media profile already. So I've got a pretty big manuscript sitting there and I've sent it out to a number of publishers and a lot of them said, like what you've written, thanks, but you don't have a big enough media profile for us to take you on. I'll find it. I'll find someone. What's the... um What's the content? What's the theme? Is there a theme? There is a theme. So gardening for beginners okay. in Australia for Australian gardens, yeah, so great. not just natives. Yeah. But all my friends started moving out of out of home, you know, in the mm. last five or so plus years, a bit more yeah. than that now, and <laughs> having absolutely no idea what to do in their garden. And... Um, they were asking me all these like really basic questions, yeah. and I sort of look around. And there's not a lot of really basic gardening books out there for Australian gardens. Yep. There's a few RHS ones that are for mm. England mm. and the, the Northern Hemisphere, yep. but I couldn't find much that had been done for Australian gardens. So the there be- was my idea. The beginner gardener book. Yep, the beginner gardener book for rookies. It's called The Rookie Gardener at the moment. I'm open to suggestions. It's, is that the working title? That's the working title. I like it. Yeah, yeah I do yeah. too. Thanks. The Rookie Gardener. The Rookie Gardener. Yeah. I mean, it is It is such a... I don't know. When, you, when you're a trained horticulturist, you take a whole bunch of stuff for, for granted. But if, yeah. I, if, if I reflect back yeah. to when I first started at the zoo all those years ago, I, I knew nothing. Yeah. I knew nothing. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and teaching has really helped direct what I wrote too, um, teaching, I started teaching a certificate too in horticulture, which is the really basic, real basic stuff. And across the levels up to diploma now, um, like reading through the assessments and the requirements for the subjects for a certificate too, I go, oh, okay, that it is really basic stuff and this is stuff that people mm. don't know. Mm. So yeah. that's why they go somewhere to study it or that's why they yeah. go find a book um, to find out that information. Mm. Yeah. It's what we do all the time in the magazine. Is the, yeah. you, you assume some knowledge, but every now and uh, constantly you yeah. have to be going back to the beginning and explaining the basics yeah. again. So you know, all the time you're writing for both audiences. Yeah. So. And, and that's a challenge. I think the, the mm-hmm. Diggers magazine sort of faced this, the yes. same challenge. Challenge yeah. that you know this that beginner gardener um, mm. uh, section. Yeah. Uh, alongside you know seasoned people that have been in the game yeah. for fifty, sixty years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> long time ago I can really clearly remember Clive saying to me something along the lines of you can never underestimate the ignorance of gardeners <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can hear That's him saying that actually yeah. whichever way it works yeah. there are, you know people really don't know what to do you yes. know so that they um, think that with garlic you have to plant the whole bulb for instance mm. um, not pull it apart and plant the cloves and, and you know so those really really fundamental sort of mistakes yep. like and that common sense yeah. you would assume but almost green side up yeah yeah mm. exactly yeah. I've was been particularly conscious in my writing is to not to assume any knowledge because yeah. I my friend who is a very very intelligent person had to ask me one time if you take the pot off the plant before you put it in the ground. <laughs> and she has a that's, law degree. I think that's exactly, <laughs> think that's exactly what Clive meant. <laughs> yeah. We've got a few calls uh, coming in. Hello, people. There are listeners out there. Um, Julie, a listener, Julie, rang, and she said she has the same problem as Liz and feels that it might be spider mites um, well, we that are spinning those fine that, webs. We? Yep. Um, on her ripsala, she's had it before. Uh, Caller George, is it a good time to transplant proteas from one pot to another or into the garden? Uh, 
fine. You might be better to wait a little while until it's a little bit warmer. Yeah. Um, but repotting, I mean, you can repot it practically any time of the year, but it's often best to do it when there's root, active root activity. Yeah. Just so they move into the pot as, as quickly as they yeah. can. Yeah, and maybe if it's into the ground, I'd probably wait till the weather is a bit warmer and the soil Warms starts up a bit. to warm up a little bit so more. So what do proteas need? Drainage. Yeah, yeah, that was that was yeah. the thing that I had in my head, but I yep. wondered if there were other things. But it is just really just good drainage. Good drainage, yeah. yeah. Okay, and so. this time of year they might be a little bit cold sensitive yep. from the transplant. And the soil's very damp at the yes. moment. Yes, yeah. well, I know mine is. Yeah. Um, so I just, yeah, I don't think I transplant them. Just yeah. Um, we have another caller as well, uh, Marianne in Northcote. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for the show. <laughs> Thanks for calling. What's your question? And my question is, right, so we're in a development zone and House Next Door has been knocked down and there's asbestos dust, so that, you know, they had to stop that. So could, would Veggie Safe test my soil? So I'm growing garlic, fruit trees, um, broad beans and lettuce here, um, very, very close to where this dust went across. Would VeggieSafe test me for asbestos? So what you're saying is, can, could you plant something that would tell you whether it was safe as far as asbestos is concerned? Is that I what have, you're asking? Yeah, I, I've been gardening here for 20 years. The yeah. house next door was knocked down. Um, we had to stop the demolition because there was asbestos there yeah. and got work safe and all that. So there was actually no... Um, barrier between the dust from that and my garden. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if there's a free service like VeggieSafe does lead contamination. Yep. It's just sort of the safety of my established garden and my veg that was already in. Yeah. You're worried about the potential asbestos? I would be ringing your, your council. Mm-hmm. I, I don't the think there's, okay. there's nothing that you can plant that will tell you whether you have asbestos in your garden. You need, yeah. no, you need soil, soil testing is what I yeah, you need about, someone to come in, yeah. and I would start with your council. If they've already okay. been involved because of the demolition, the breach, yep. um, you need to say you're concerned that the asbestos has come in, and um, and how do you find out, um, okay. and who is responsible for testing? Because it shouldn't be you. No. I don't think. Yeah. I no. think it That's should right. be the developer next door, or it should be the council. Okay. Thanks. Good for luck. That. It's okay, a tri- tough. You. It's a really tricky one, isn't it? It's and um, John, great to hear you. And you always have to take my calls. You know why? Why is that? I've got bootlegs of you with your band right there in that studio. Do you remember coming in with Kangaroo Grass? Oh, I do remember coming in with Kangaroo Grass. <laughs> 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 this is what happens when you go on radio. Yeah, me and Ange Ferretio, we um. We both worked at the zoo together, and we we yeah we played. A yeah. Cop, that was fun. Uh, they were fun days. Yeah. So your song um, "Fire Keeps Burning." Yeah. I had that on cart, and that got played quite a lot there at the station. <laughs> and I really loved what you were saying. Um, like I've been opposed to native forest logging, and the more I see it, and now in the context of the climate emergency, and also the more I found out about it, is how much it's subsidised. Mm. Um, it's just like just so wrong. So just to throw that comment in, it's not a question, just a comment. But um, 
in, in this climate emergency, which is international now, we really need to stop some of our stupid practices in Victoria. That's my comment. That's, yeah. that's great. And that's what that song was about yes. all those years ago. Isn't, in, isn't, right. it, isn't it a bit damning that we haven't um, made any significant inroads to that that's particular right. issue? We're still subsidising the logging of the Central Highlands, and they're just going to keep logging till there's nothing left. But anyway, fire keeps burning, John. Oh, look, that's um, that's so. That's so, so He's blushing, Marianne. <laughs> no, She's I'm got blushing. the tapes. No, no, I'm, She's got no, the, I'm good. Don't you want to copy the tape? I think I've yeah, got I'll it. Let you, I'll let you uh, talk to someone else. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. That's you. um, you've just taken me down memory lane. So thanks, yeah. thanks so much for that. That's lovely. Thanks, Marion. Hey, if you yeah. want to talk to Rosie, does the phones knows a bit about asbestos? So if you want to hold on the line, um, okay, yeah. And I'll if I accidentally hang up on you, then call back again. But um, yeah. she might be able to help you. Thank you so much. That's right. Okay, bye. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Um, we have a text message question from Kim. Hey, gang, uh, what can I be planting veggie-wise in the garden right now? Penny, I think that's... Oh, okay. Um, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a sort of in-between mm. time. Um, I've, I, I've actually brought in some um, winter salad plants that I can talk about in a minute. That sort of thing can still go in. Um, you can still put in a lot of your brassicas. Um, I always worry a little bit with brassicas um, because as soon as the weather starts warming up you start getting the um, cabbage butterflies um, Mm. and really one of the best ways of um, putting up with cabbage butterflies is not to grow brassicas when they're around when they're active um, so that you plant your plant your brassicas early and get them out of the ground once the cabbage butterflies but if you're prepared to net them then you could easily be putting broccoli in now Um, what about there's, there's just leafy greens? Yeah, any leafy greens is good. Um, you can also put in leeks. Um, you could also do, um, I, I think it's getting round to, you can put in carrots. Coriander? Um, yeah, yeah, coriander is good. Yeah, coriander is really good planted in autumn, then it goes right through winter and, and it doesn't, goes doesn't to bolt. In, mm, bolts in yeah. spring. Um, and... Um, you, there is some garlic that you can still plant. So there are people experimenting with planting Creole group garlics, um, which have uh, part of the reason that they can be planted a bit, a bit later for in July and, and into August is because they store for that long. So they're the longest storing garlics. Things like Rojo de Castro um, and... Um, Spanish rohar and there's a there's a few so it's the sort of the Spanish reds the ones with the um, cloves with red skins but white strong white mm. outer skins for the bulb, um, and they will grow late in the season and produce in a shorter time period. So if you want to experiment with some garlic, if you haven't planted garlic, you could it might be worth putting some of these. Mm. In. You know how we were saying before you that you don't plant the whole head. Mm. How do you, how do you plant it? Could you just Talk us through how to plant a, oh, okay. a, a, a garlic. Oh, okay. Planting garlic, you get a bulb yep. of lovely, healthy garlic. You yep. split it open and you plant the cloves the right way up. And the right way up is the way that well, they're the base, orientated? Yes. Yeah. The base plate needs to go down. You put them in two centimetres below the surface of the soil and about 15 centimetres apart. And stand back. And Well, yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And but you should have actually got most of your garlic in by now because right. most of them won't store for this long. So okay. the turban garlics and the um, the... Artichokes, group garlics, and those ones should have all been in because they would have been sprouting if you hadn't. 
Um, the other thing to remember is if you do have bulbs that have started sprouting, you can still eat them. Um, you can still eat the cloves, but you can also put, plant them, um, even if they're the earlier ones, and grow green garlic so that you can grow it as sprouts mm. and harvest them as sprouts, or you can just let them keep growing. They probably won't form a proper bulb, but you can harvest them um, with a single bulb with no cloves and eat it as green garlic. Okay. So, so, so when, when you see a single, that's, that's very young. Yeah, usually you've right? either planted it too late yep. or you've, um, you've, it, the season hasn't worked or it was too small a clove. So, and we call those rounds. Yeah. Um, but they're still completely edible. You can mm. just eat them. Yep. Mm. Um, or you can keep them and cure them and plant them the following year and they'll grow into a full-size bulb with cloves. What's, what's the turnaround? So if you plant them at the right time of year, what's About the eight between months. harvest? Eight months. Yeah, from planting okay. to harvest. Yep. If you do the, if you get some of these creoles and put them in now, if it's a good season, so if you get some cold weather, um, which we're looking like we're going to keep for a little while, and then get some good hot dry weather towards the end of the year, then you may get a crop in, in five months. Okay. Not huge bulbs, you won't, they probably won't be as big or, um, as the bulbs that you planted mm-hmm. earlier, but you could get bulbs. But it's got to be these creole or silver skin group garlics. Mm-hmm. When you talk about groups, it's all the same thing. It's all, it's all the, same the same genus species. species. Yeah. So Alimus them. But they're they've varieties. They've divided them in the same way as the brassicas are okay. sort of divided into into groups. This yep. is an official botanical yep. thing is they do divide them right. into groups. Um, garlic has 12 or 13 groups. Distinct groups. Distinct groups. But it's all the same genus species. It's all the same species. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, yeah. And what, just, sorry, I should know, what was the, the genus species name? Allium sativum. Allium sativum. There is another garlic called elephant garlic or Russian garlic that mm. is actually a leek. So that's Allium ampelopracum. Okay. And it grows much, much bigger and doesn't have the depth of flavour. Yeah, it doesn't Huge. have the, yeah, I've had one before, a customer yep. warning when I was working in a retail nursery. Mm. It was the biggest garlic clove I've ever seen. <laughs> Thinking you beauty. Here yeah, you go. I was like, cool, this will last like five meals. <laughs> but it, the, the flavour yeah. is not as strong. It's a nice flavour, but it's, yeah. not, it's not true garlic. And there is a bit of variety amongst them as right. well. So, but um, we constantly come... You, elephant garlic is the garlic that you find growing on derelict housing sites all over, well, not all over, but often in Victoria, ah. particularly around Ballarat and Bendigo and those sort of areas. Right. Um, yeah, okay. But because true garlic will not keep growing because true garlic does not produce seed. So eventually if a garlic, if a true garlic, if an allium sativum sits in the ground, it um, just keeps producing the cloves, will try and produce bulbs, and it crowds itself out and right, dies. and disappears. Whereas the elephant garlic produces these great big flower heads. And gets seedlings. And gets seeds and seedlings. And it also has bulb bulls sometimes in the flower head. And it also has bulblets that grow around okay. the base of the bulb. Fascinating. So. And, and then natural distribution? Like going back oh, centuries and centuries and centuries? Yeah. Um, the sort of mountains around Turkmenistan. Okay. That sort of mm, region. Right. Um, so quite restricted well, in nature. Well, quite, quite probably more than, you know, Kazakhstan and, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, other yeah. countries. The stands. The stands. But they think that it came from there originally. Right. 
um, but they don't they haven't actually identified the parent of true garlic because it's been cultivated for so long. Yeah. So it might not exist in the may, wild. May not have the parent anymore. Well, wow. no. And even with all the genetic testing that they're doing, a couple of times they've thought they found the parent and it wasn't. Okay. So once they've looked at it genetically more closely. So right. And how long has it been domesticated? Uh, it's like, uh, thousands, uh, thousands of years. Yeah. For culinary purposes. For culinary purposes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, because it keeps so well. So you could mm. carry it, you could put it in a pouch and you could carry it with you yeah. as you were wandering over the steps, and yep. as in S-T-E-double-P-E-S. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so, you know, it was, it's a really good plant to have um, because it adds mm. flavour to sort of all sorts of bland foods mm. and, um, and it keeps really well. So yeah. It's been an important plant for a long time. We have one of your garlic books we do for, for yeah. on our radiothon. So if you're if you want Penny's book, we and learn more about garlic. We've just been talking about it. Um, give Rosie and Burn a call on nine four one nine zero one double five, and you can buy the garlic book. Okay. Can I ask another question about garlic? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my daughter is fructose intolerant. Yep. So garlic, garlic, garlic is out you of the question. You can eat the green. Eat the green. Yeah, that's what um, my husband was fructose okay. intolerant for a while, and and my daughter is a bit. Um, you can eat the greens of leeks. Okay. And you can eat the greens of garlic. Fantastic. Not the white. The white is the chemistry is different. She can have garlic oil, mm. infused oil, okay. I believe. Yeah. Mate. Yeah, look, I'm not sure. Yeah. It, it, I think it, it, some of that stuff can be very specific to the person. To, to the and person, you just yeah. need to experiment a little bit. But yep. certainly with, with my daughter and my husband, I, found, I have found that we can do the green leaves, yep. um, but not the, not the white parts. Not the white parts. I met years and years and years ago, I can't, you probably can't recall this, Penny, we, uh, we were making our own garlic oil by getting cloves and dropping it into olive oil. Yeah. And you were saying, don't do don't that. Don't do it. Yeah. yeah, so we haven't done it since. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if you use it straight away. Yeah, it's okay. only if you store it that yep. it's a problem. And, and um, this is botulism. It is because it's a low, mm. a low. Mm. Um, it, it's, the, it's the wrong acidity. Um, it is anaerobic. It's the perfect way to get, um, to get botulism and you, it kills you. So it's mm-hmm. not worth risking. And when it's made commercially, they acidify it first. Okay. Mm. So they put it in a lot of um, – you can do it with vinegar, but vinegar is not quite acidic enough. So that they use acids to make it really acidic. And then the only way that you can make garlic oil is to dry the garlic first. So okay. So if you dry it Powder. completely, get the moisture out of it. Okay. And it's relatively easy to dry. You can then make garlic oil because you don't have that moisture component that is in fresh garlic. Gotcha. Right. Great. Well, we're still on garlic, and we've had text message question come through. When can I fertilise my garlic, and with what product? Okay. Um, look, it depends on your soil preparation. If you've done really good soil preparation with lots of organic matter and some longer-lasting fertilisers, you don't need to do a lot. Mm. Um, but a bit of liquid fertiliser at the point. Garlic bulbs start swelling after the shortest day so um, and with increased heat. So we haven't had the increased heat yet, so mm. they won't be doing a lot of swelling. Mm. But as soon as the temperature starts going up, that's when they're going to be swelling and they'll be drawing on the leaves and the roots. That's when you want to start doing some liquid fertilising to get... But don't do too much because if you give them too much nitrogen, you'll end up with really thick stems mm. that are very prone to disease. Yeah. So you need to... 
just balance it a bit and just see and how if, they go. And if it's too wet, you could run the risk of rotting Indeed. as well? Yeah, but it's too late now. I mean, yeah. if, you've, if you've got it in a bed that's stayed wet all this time, your garlic will probably be rotting yeah. anyway. Yeah. So you, I've, I've got heavy soil. I can only plant garlic in raised beds. Mm. Okay. Pests and diseases for garlic? <laughs> um, we should just read a book, John. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. I mean, just, yeah, sure. I wish you'd. I should, no, no, I should just go um, and buy a copy now. Um, uh, I, look, um, in the garden... One of the diseases is black aphid, uh-huh. um, mm. and they only attack, it's an onion aphid, so they okay. attack the whole allium mm. family. Um, the way to deal with those is as soon as you see them, you need to get, I, I alternate between a pest oil and a soap. Okay. Yeah. Um, so soap first, and then two weeks later use a pest oil. And the problem is that the aphid hide between where the folds of the leaves mm-hmm. are. They get down in the base, so you've got to make sure that it dribbles down as far as you can into that that part because of the overlapping leaf bases that form the stem. Um, The other one are all the fungal diseases. So more things kill garlic fungally than anything else. So you just need to make sure you've got good drainage. That's the drainage thing. And don't plant them too close. Don't crowd them around. It's why you can't really companion plant with garlic because it creates too much stuff yep. that stops them from drying out properly and this is going to be a tough year I think okay. for garlic with all the extra moisture, extra moisture um, yeah. if, if, you, if your garlic's not above the ground um, and you've got to rotate crops so that if you've had any fungal problems they're going to be there again in 12 months time you need to plant somewhere else yeah yeah Oof. Wow. The garlic book's still <laughs> available if you want to grab it. Uh, 94190155 or 94198377 to talk to Rosenburn. We do still have some products left. Um, ABC Organic Gardener 2022 calendar is still available. We've still got a number of I haven't of even seen that yet. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I was involved in the editing yeah. and some of the writing and stuff, but I haven't seen the end product. Yeah, I'm we've, surprised yeah. that they sent that to you. That's very exciting. Yeah, we had I think we had a few on the day, and there's still okay. one left now. Um, the Bully Nut and Garden vouchers are still available. Pip Magazine, the Rip and Lee vouchers, Country Farm Perennial Seed Packets, heaps of books and heaps of products are still available as well if you want to call up and speak to the girls off air. Yeah. Can I just mention a couple of these salad plants that are getting yes, a bit droopy? Yes, we brought in plants here. that are starting to droop. Yes. So um, I, I eat salads all year round. I, I just think they're really important. And three of the main plants, that, or four, one of them is rocket, which lots of people have lots of rocket at the moment. So mm. this is the annual rocket, not the perennial rocket. Um, but the other ones are this one, which is landcress, which is barbaria vulgaris or verna, depending... Um, yeah, there's a bit of contention around whether there's two different species or whether they're one. So it has a really hot peppery flavour. Give handing it around. Here. I haven't had breakfast yet. <laughs> good. Yeah, that's good. Um, which I just love, and it self-sows around the garden, so it just keeps keeps coming up. So really nice salad plant. This little delicate one here is salad burnet, um, and it. Ta- mm. I should, probably should have done this the other round. This one tastes like cucumber. Okay. Wow. So it grows as a clump, as a really attractive fountain-shaped clump. The flowers are unusual, but they're not particularly dramatic. Yeah. 
Um, but it's it's a lovely it's a really lovely plant. It so looks like a caterpillar. This is Celebernet <laughs> sanguisorba minor. Oh, that's nice. And the final one is is this little guy, which is corn salad or mache. Um, or um, what's the other name? I wrote it down because I always forget. Or um, lamb's lettuce, and it's Valerianella locusta. Yeah. So it's yeah. a very mild leafed plant. You pick the whole; it doesn't get much bigger than that. So it's less than the palm of your hand in size, it and looks it grows like a super baby as a little little clump. Mm. Um, and it's a very mild flavored one. So you can put in a whole lot of those leaves, and then add the peppery ones or the stronger. Flavored. I really like mixing it with rocket. It's beautiful. So yeah, it's a yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Mm. And it again self sows, but it only comes up in winter. So it's a great plant so to an have annual. in the garden in winter. An annual. Yes. Yep. Yep. Mm. yep. And the other one that I am eating a lot of at the moment is fennel. And I only grow bronze fennel because it's not as weedy as the green fennel. Oh, the green fennel tip. is a noxious weed. Yeah, it is. In all sorts of regions. I, and I if you grow it, you should you need to cut it off. But I this have is always bronze. wondered if the weedy fennel was the same fennel that we ate. Yeah, me too. That's in the bulb fennel. Yeah. Bulb it's fennel is um, is Florence fennel. Right. Which is a, it has actually been bred to have more swollen leaf bases and more tender leaf bases. So... Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, funiculum. I'm going to forget what its botanical name is. Um, it is now a different species, but you can still eat the leaves and the seeds, and the, it's very trendy at the moment to mm. eat fennel pollen. Oh, I've heard pollen that. over your dish. Really? <laughs> and fennel seeds, of course, are, are wonderfully <laughs> edible. Fennel um, pollen. Fennel, fennel pollen. So you get a florid and you yeah, shake, you it, over your, shake it over, whatever over your risotto. And you can add $10 <laughs> to the price of the dish. Um, so, but the bronze fennel and the green fennel, so just the funiculum vulgare and funiculum vulgare purpurescens, which is the bronze, um, they are um, different to the Florence fennel. So that although they do grow solid stems at the base, they don't grow the tender stems. So you can still eat them, but it's not a vegetable. It's really grown as a herb. Yeah, right. But um, I just pick it and I put it with all sorts of things, but particularly if I'm putting orange or any citrus into a salad, fennel just goes the aniseed. I'm sure you know the flavour of fennel, but the aniseed flavour of fennel is is just gorgeous. I was going to bring some sea celery and some apium oh, prostratum. Yeah, I just planted some. Did in you? Because yeah. yeah. that's a lovely little thing. Again, it's one of the ones that we collected on French. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's yeah. pretty common. Um, but it's, it's a really it's nice a celery flavor, taste. It's got it? a great yeah. flavour. Yeah. yeah. There's a few plants in those in those in that family in the Apiaceae mm. that have had some really good. Because there's the um, Asian celery as well, which is grows a bit like the sea celery, but it, it doesn't produce the really tender stems. Okay. It is a much more strongly celery-flavoured plant, right. and you grow it mainly for the leaves and the narrower stems rather than the base stems. So that celery taste is just so mm. distinctive, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. 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 There's, well, a, there's a rainforest plant um, called Polyphius uh, Murrayi, I think it is. Um, Polyphius elegans. It's a tree. Okay. You crush the foliage, and the foliage smells like celery, celery. tastes. Okay, so you can eat it? No. no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like, oh, it smells like it celery It smells like taste. Ta- celery yeah. tastes. So, yes, yeah. right. <laughs> For what that's worth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have another caller on the line. We must say good morning to, is it Fermi? 
It is. Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What's your question, I, Fermi? How can we help? Well, well, first, I was going to say I've been meaning to ring for a while. Um, uh, when I first um, woke up at about uh, quarter to um, to eight, was the fact that everybody is asleep still because they were watching Ash Barty win Wimbledon. Yes. Yep. You're, yep. I should be asleep still. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Wasn't it? Did you watch it? It was. Oh, it was tremendous. So it was a great match. Wasn't it great? Haven't watched tennis for ages, but I thought, oh, I should watch this, and uh, it was worth it. Really yeah. Indeed. Couldn't agree more. It was a beauty. <laughs> uh, look, my, my, Stephen Ryan always says there has to be somebody ring in with a lemonary question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, uh, we haven't grown uh, citrus for ages because of the severe frost we get up here, and because uh, we're up near Kyneton. Yep. And, um, and uh, we... Um, Decided we, we've got a bed on the north side of the house and we got some frost cloth and um, it's a, we planted in a, in a two-foot-high uh, gal bed, yep. one of those oblongy sort of things. And so we put in three small uh, citrus, so a cap of lime, a lemon, lemon and a, a Tahitian lime. So they went in sort of in late autumn. Yep. They have not done very much, which I didn't expect them to. Um, and we're keeping the frost cloth on as soon as we know there's going to be a frost. Um, what else can we do and when's the best time to fertilise them? Okay. Um, the uh, You're doing really well if, you, if you're... Um, these days, the kaffir lime, we actually call it magret lime, just because of cultural sensitivities. Oh, um, so what do you call it now? Magret. That's what it's called in, in Thailand. Okay. So, yeah, M-A-G-R-U-T, magret okay. Good. lime. Okay. Um, you've done really well if that's still alive, because that actually is a subtropical plant. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. um, you know, I, I've only been able to keep it alive in a really sheltered, warm courtyard, so well done on that. Um, as far as frost goes, it sounds to me as if you're pretty much doing everything that you can do um, for them. It's been a really tough year for um, citrus in some ways. They've enjoyed the extra water, but you know the cold, they really struggle with the cold. So um, if you can keep them alive through this into spring, the chances are you know they will start doing really well. Um, and once, often once you get them go, going and growing strongly, um, they will keep going. You know, they're actually a bit tougher than we think they are. Um, what lemon is it? Um, I think it's a Lisbon. Okay. Lisbon's what I've got, and I love it because it fruits nearly all year round in my garden. Mm. Um, so you've, that's a really good choice, and I think they're a little bit more cold tolerant, certainly than the Maya mm. lemon, which is yeah. crossed with an orange. Yeah, um, we wouldn't bother growing. Yeah, um, and and yes, you do need to feed them. Um, I yeah. would I wouldn't do it while the soil is so cold because they're not going to yeah. be growing. But as soon as they start looking as if they're perking up a bit and looking a bit happier, I would be feeding them. Yeah, and they're, they're indeed they're surface fibrous rooted surface. Yeah, and mm. quite gross feeders when they're actively yes. growing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and I'd also be mulching on the top after, once the weather warms up, don't do it now. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Thank you, Fermi. All the best. Okay. We'll speak Great. to you soon. Um, Claire, um, 
Chloe, I do follow you on Instagram, so know. You know, you, you, you're getting your your uh, Instagram uh, <laughs> followers building up now. Oh, thank you very. I do see your name pop up, so thank you so much. It's, I'll, I think I do follow you as well. Anyway, I'll we'll, yep. I'll say hi to you on Instagram soon. <laughs> thank okay. you. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. So the garlic book's gone, which is nice. Yes, great. Um, just we we got to wrap up, but um, a question's come in from Carol. She has some ta- um, fresh tamarillo seeds. Uh, wants to know how long do they need to spread out and dry before she can plant them? Tamarillo's in the tomato family, treated as if it was tomato seeds. Yep. So as soon as they dry out, as soon as they dry out, you can in. plant them. And yep. just check before you start growing it that your tamarillo doesn't have these odd little stones in the fruit. I would not bother growing it if mm. it's a fruit that had stones yeah. in it yeah, you because you can break a tooth on them when they get a little bit bigger. It just spoils the yeah. whole tamarillo. And you want to select for good genetics as well. Indeed. So if you've yes. got a good tree, then yes, save yep. those seeds, yep. take those cuttings. Yeah. 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 Yep. And just remember they only last for about seven or eight years. They're a short-lived perennial. Yes, they are. Very delicious. So good luck with it. They're good luck, fabulous. Carol. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, we must say a thank you to um, Rose and Byrne who've taken all the calls this morning. We still do have a, a number of products, books and vouchers available if you want to call up uh, the station at any point during the week. Um, thank you to Penny and John for coming in this morning. Uh, we will be back on air at 7.30 next Sunday again. So have a lovely day, everyone. We'll see you later. Happy gardening. Indeed. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.